Today's scripture reading is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Please follow along with me. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, Welcome to worship. We're so glad that you have chosen to join us today. Uh, My name is Doug McHenry. I'm the lead pastor here at, at First Covenant Church. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and let us be glad in it. Now, I saw a book recently with a simple title, Make Time. And the premise of the book was that we, um, we all live by default. Most of us do by default. We are reactive in how we live our lives. We default to certain schedules. We default to certain um, priorities. We default to, uh, to certain patterns and habits. And, and, and the key, of course, they tell us, is to set new defaults, to be intentional about the use of our time and, and, and our schedules and to run our schedules and not the other way around. You know, one of the things that, um, and the money, the money quote from the book is, this isn't about saving time, it's about making time for what matters. You know, one of the defaults that I found myself falling into recently during this COVID-19 pandemic is, is that every morning I have this poll. I have this poll to go to certain websites and, and to check the latest news about the COVID-19 pandemic. What are the statistics? What are the numbers? What, what are the trends? What, 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 what is the impact for, for us here locally, but also around our country, state, and world? Maybe you have the same, same default. Throughout the day, several times a day, I'm just kind of pulled to, to check the latest news and to see what's going on in the world because it has such an impact upon us. But if I'm not careful, this, this compulsion to do this, this, this default mode, I can end up wasting, wasting time and, and missing out what God has for me uh, in that moment. Uh, to be clear, I'm not going to be ignoring the news. I, I don't imagine many of us will. But I do want to be intentional about my choices, my habits, uh, my priorities, and my use of time. You know, one of the things that I think in the midst of all this, we, none of us would have chosen this pandemic and its disruptions and its anxiety and its loss. But I believe that there is an opportunity for us to step back to evaluate 
and where necessary, recalibrate or reset our lives and our defaults. That's why we're starting a new sermon series today. We're calling it Life on Purpose, because I believe that God calls us to live lives of purpose. And I believe that we are happiest and most fulfilled when we are living an intentional, purposeful life. Jesus describes this kind of this life uh, in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Life to the full, a full life, a life that maximizes our impact, a life that maximizes, that maxes out on joy and and love and and peace and, and hope. Don't you want that kind of life? I know that I do. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be digging into what does it mean to to live uh, that sort of life, a a life of purpose, a full life, each week honing in in on a different aspect of what it means to live that sort of life. In the the year 2000, Samuel L. Jackson and um, Bruce Willis starred in a movie called Unbreakable. It's about about a guy, an ordinary guy named David Dunn. He's a security guard living in Philadelphia. And through the course of the movie, he slowly discovers, through the help of a friend named Elijah, he discovers that he, in fact, is more than he thinks he is. That he has not been living the life that he is intended to do, that he's capable of living. That he, in fact, is actually a superhero. And there's this encounter, this exchange between David and Elijah. It's always resonated with me. David said, this morning was the first morning I can remember that I didn't open my eyes and feel that sense of sadness. Elijah said, That little bit of sadness in the morning that you speak of, I think you know what that is. Perhaps you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Maybe you're not living the life that you're supposed to be living. Have you ever felt that way? I know that there have been points in my life when when I've reflected and stepped back in the past where I thought, you know... This isn't going the direction that I, I think it should be going. I'm not, I'm not becoming the person that I was created to be. Maybe you have felt that way as well. I mean, who doesn't want to live their very best life, to live the life that God put them on this earth to live? So before we, we home in on the one aspect of, that we want to focus on today, let's try and draw a big picture, kind of a, a big picture of what it means to to have this kind of life that we're created for. Uh, It's not going to be fully complete. We don't have enough time to do that. But and and understanding, of course, that we all have different gifts and abilities and backgrounds and experiences and opportunities. No two lives are carbon copies. But I do believe that there are certain broad themes or purposes for which all of us as human beings are created. So let's do a little background on how we're designed as human beings. And then we're going to home in on one of the key things that we must have in place to live a life on purpose. So let's start in the beginning. In the book of Genesis, the very first chapter, we're told this. Then God said, let's make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created. Now, what strikes you here? Well, for me, it's the fact that we are created in God's image, God's likeness. In Latin, it's called the imago Dei, the image of God. What exactly is that? What does it look like? So let's be good detectives here. Let's, let's ask the what. What does it mean to be created in God's image? We're going to cover it all, but let's hit a couple, couple points. 
And then we're going to ask the why. Why are we created in God's image? So first, the what. What is what is God like? There are certain aspects of God's personality, uh, his his image, his character that we can't have. For instance, God is the eternal. He's always been and always will be. We all have beginnings. We all have a, a birthday on our birth certificate. God doesn't have a birth certificate. God is holy. He's 100 percent perfect. He's he's pure in every way. I don't know about you, but I am far, far from that. God is all-knowing. He's all-present. No human being has ever been either of those. Those are just a, a few of the several aspects of God's personality that we cannot develop. So what are the aspects of God's personality or character, his, his image that we are, can foster and emulate? Well, God is a God of justice. As human beings, unless somebody is born as a, as a sociopath, we have an innate sense of right and wrong, of justice. We have a, we have a moral compass. Now we can lose our way through our choices or the company we keep or perhaps some sort of uh, mental health issue or something like that, but we can, we have an inherent conscience. Injustice bothers us, or at least it should. That's why we get so fired up when we're watching a movie uh, that involves a big, powerful person or company that exploits the little guys, the little people. Or when a, a bully picks on an easy target over and over and just beats them down. We want justice. And when we get it, there's a surge of adrenaline, of, of rightness. And when we don't get it, we were disappointed and we are angry. We feel let down because this is not right. It's not how it's supposed to be. This desire for justice is a part of what it means to be created in God's image. What else? Well, God is the God of creation. He's created all things. He's a creative God. He's the creator God. And his creation is, is beautiful. That's undeniable. And we have this innate desire, this drive to create and to create and cherish things of beauty and meaning and significance. Now, God being a God of beauty, it doesn't always top the list when we think of the image of God. But look, look at his creation, the complexity and, and beauty of, uh, of the universe, stars, moons and galaxies. Our, our gorgeous planet that we live on, Earth. We can't travel right now and enjoy it, but it's incredible. If creation is so stunningly beautiful, how much more must be the, the, the character, the, the personality, the person that created it? And of course, we're told in the scriptures that God's crowning achievement of all things in creation are, are human beings. So let's think about the, the, the human body. The human body is truly a marvel. Our hearts pump over 2,000 gallons of blood a day. Our brains have over 100,000 billion electrical connections, more than all the appliances on this world combined. Our tongues have over 8,000 taste buds. Our DNA, this is mind-blowing, our DNA, if the 46 segments of DNA in your body were placed end to end, it would stretch to the moon and back over 500,000 times. And if all this very densely coded uh, information of your DNA were placed in typewritten form, it would completely fill the Grand Canyon 50 times. Just think about that. Listen to how this filled David, who was the king of Israel long before Jesus walked the earth. Listen to how he describes his amazement about God's creation and about our place as human beings in God's creation. Listen to this from Psalm chapter 8. 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You see the parallels between Genesis 1 and Psalm 8. Human beings are created by God for the purpose of overseeing the works of God, of being stewards of God's creations. God entrusts creation and all his creatures to us. And we are to reflect God's image by creating and cherishing beauty in our work and in our world. What, what else does it mean to be created in God's image? We're not going to cover everything, but what else? One more. We have the ability to choose to give and to receive love. We are creatures created with, with free will. God chooses to love us. In fact, the Apostle John tells us that God himself is love. And we have this capacity to deeply love others and to receive their love in return. We are created, in other words, for relationships of depth, intimacy, and love because that's who God is. He's relational in his very being, his very essence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three. And that leads us to the primary why of why God created us in his image. God created us in his image because he wants to share with us this love that he experiences and has experienced for all of eternity. And we experience this love, of course, in the context of, of relationship, of, of connection. I mean, you can love yourself, but if you have no output of love to anybody else or no input of love from anybody else, you can't truly know what love is. Love is always relational and always intentional. And so if we want to live a life of purpose and fulfillment, as God has designed, our lives must be grounded and must be sourced by healthy, growing connections, relationships with God the Father and with other people. There's no two ways around it. We are created for relationships with God and connections with others. So first, let's look at our, our connection with God. What does that mean? You know, I'm, when I really step back and think about, about God, who he, who he is, I look at his creation like, like David. It, it fills me with awe to think that this all-powerful, almighty incredible, holy, just, always present, always existing God, to think that he pursues me. He pursues me not to, not to condemn me, not to punish me, but to have a relationship with me. I can so relate to, to David when he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, who am I that you're mindful of me? Who am I that you, that you care for me? I mean, it's, 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 it's overwhelming. It's, when I think about it and reflect upon the greatness of God and I look at myself, I think, is this for real? Are you kidding me? This all-powerful, always-existing, perfect, righteous, holy God who speaks everything into existence wants a deep and personal, intimate connection, relationship with me. He wants, to, he wants me to be his, his, his son, his child, and, and he wants to, to be my father. It's, it's mind-blowing, even though when I look at my own life, I, I make mistakes every day. 
I'm a flawed and imperfect person. I'm, I'm a person with brokenness in my life, and that brokenness sometimes spills out in the lives of others and creates brokenness in them. But God still pursues me, pursues you. He loves us and wants to be with us. Listen, when you all boil it all down, the story of the Bible is not primarily about the desire of people to be with God, but rather it's about God's desire to be with us. And God is offering you and me a, a full and abundant life. And we, make, we get that life we, and we, through a connection, through faith in Jesus Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven and we can relate to God personally and intimately without fear or condemnation. We can, we can experience peace in the midst of all circumstances. We can, know, we, can, we can forgive the unforgivable because God has done that in us. And we can be free, truly free, because when we know Jesus Christ, the way, the life, and the truth, he will set us free indeed. So if we want to live a life on purpose, of purpose, it must begin with our connection with God. Next, let's look at our connections with, with, with people. We go back to Genesis, the very first chapter, or second chapter, where God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So we often think this is about marriage, and marriage is, is, is a significant way for us to connect with each other. But the, the larger principle is true for everybody. We need other people in our lives. It is not good for us to be alone for a very, very, very long time, separated. John Dunn, the, po- the poet, famously said it this way, no man is an island unto himself. Or think of it this way. What is the worst thing you can do to a prisoner is put them in solitary confinement for a very, very, very long time. We need those connections with other people. I'll I'll give you a word picture. What, What do Legos and human beings have in common? Well, we're both designed to connect. A Lego by itself does not have a whole lot of purpose. A Lego is designed to be a part of a greater purpose. It's designed to be part of a of a greater whole. It's designed to connect. And we are like Legos. We are designed to connect in meaningful relationships. And it's in those connections that we learn how to love and how to forgive. It's in those connections that we learn how to be patient and how to trust, how to sacrifice and how to serve. It's through relationships that we are challenged and we grow. But there are many things that can impede those connections, that can break those connections. And we end up lonely and frustrated and unfulfilled. The biggest problem we have, of course, is what the Bible calls sin. And sin is simply anything that's not a part of God's will and intention for us in the world in which we live. So that covers a whole lot. We get in our own way. Our pride or stubbornness keep us from close relationships. Our pain and our brokenness and our hurt do too. Our constant need to be right and to prove others wrong. Our biases and prejudices that we all absorb from the cultures in which we swim. All these and more cause problems in our relationships. They keep us from being connected and plugged into the love and truth and power of God. And they keep us from what we so desperately want, connections with each other. The German philosopher Schopenhauer compared the human race to a bunch of porcupines huddling together on a cold winter night. He writes, the colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for warmth. But the closer we get to one another, the more we stick one another with our quills and hurt one another. In the lonely night of Earth's winter, eventually we begin to drift apart and wander out on our own and freeze to death in our loneliness. Kind of a 
depressing picture, isn't it? If we as human beings have this deep desire for connection with each other, but we also have this awful tendency to poke and hurt each other when we get too close, what are we to do? If left to our own devices, we're going to be a whole lot like that German philosopher's porcupines, lonely and cold and frustrated. But God did not leave us to our own devices. He sent his son Jesus to help us and to save us from our sin and to save us from ourselves and to make it possible for our connections with him and with each other to be vibrant and and healthy and and life-giving. Listen again to a few verses from Ephesians 2, which Jessica read earlier. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, I'll explain this in just a minute, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from God, or separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, what's this all about? Well, the guy who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, was, was a Jewish man who, through a powerful encounter with the risen Christ, became a follower of Jesus. And in Jesus' day, there were very overt and strident hostilities between Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles, of course, being non-Jews. So Paul is describing what, he, what he's seen and observed firsthand and, and saying that before Christ, any sort of healthy connection between a Jew and a Gentile was, was next to impossible. Just for example, if a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact or connection with a Gentile was, was the equivalent of death. Another example, this divide was evident even in the the temple in Jerusalem, much like the Berlin Wall of the 20th century that separated peoples. There was a wall dividing the Jews from the Gentiles in the temple. There's a white limestone slab. It's in a museum in Istanbul, Turkey. It was discovered early in the 20th century, and it's believed to have been from the Jewish temple. And on it is engraved these words, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Wow. I mean, think about how much hostility was present between Jews and Gentile in Jesus' day. It was practically unthinkable for any sort of healing or reconciliation or meaningful connection to exist. But, but, it says, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And if Jesus Christ can can do that for two people groups who are in such conflict, what can he do for relationships in our lives and in our world? Jesus came to earth so that we would have a full and abundant life. He came to earth to to live and to show us what God the Father is like, to show us what a a life of purpose, a life lived on purpose looked like. And then Jesus died for our sins and he destroyed the barriers between us and God so we could be connected to the Father through a relationship with Jesus. And when he died for our sins, he destroyed this wall of hostility between human beings so that we could live into God's purpose for us, his design for us, relationships of depth and love and intimacy, because we are created in God's image. And God wants to share the love that he's experienced for eternity with us. I know this is fundamental stuff we're talking about, but it's so important, so crucial to having the full and abundant life that Jesus came to give. 
So I want to encourage you during, during this time of physical distancing, use the time to step back to evaluate and to recalibrate. Use the time to reflect upon your, your connection, your relationship with God and your, your relationships with others. Use the time to connect with God in a deeper way, to rely upon him in his love for you, to find your hope and your peace and your purpose in him. And use the time to, to connect with, with others, difficult as that might be or feel. Connect with others and find and offer encouragement. Find and receive encouragement and support and help for the journey. Because connections, when it all boiled down, that's what we're designed for. And without those connections with God and with others in healthy ways, well, we're not going to live the lives that we are intended to live. So I want to close with something that Jesus said, because, well, it's always best to focus, um, focus on Jesus and to end with Jesus. Jesus was approached by a guy who asked Jesus, what is the most important thing? What is the most important thing that I am supposed to do in life? And Jesus answers him quite simply and quite profoundly. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love God and love others. And we cannot love if we're not connected in some way with somebody else. So if you want to live a life of purpose, love God and love others. And as you do so, you will be well on your way toward living a life on purpose. Let's pray. Lord God, we come into your presence and we thank you that we are always in your presence. We may not acknowledge you, may not think of you in the moment, but we are always in your presence because you are an ever-present God. Lord, you are a God of, of great love and of power and of mercy and compassion. And God, you, at your core, you are a relational God. And Lord, your heart and your desire and your design is you created us for for those sorts of relationships of intimacy and depth of connection with you and with each other. And so, Father, we pray that, that you would help us, Father, to, to focus and to hit reset, to, to focus on our relationships with you and to grow that. And, Lord, to, to seek out relationships with each other of grace and of mercy and of love, just as you have done for us through your Son, Jesus the Christ. So, Lord, now we just pray for your blessing and your peace upon all who hear, all in our community, all in our country and our world, Lord, that we would find our connection and our love and our lives and our purposes in you and experience the full life that you came to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.